Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jora, and in just a few moments, we'll be joined by David Groveman, who's the uh, main prospect writer for Mets 360. Um, Both of us have uh, recently completed uh, top 50 prospect lists, and we're going to be talking uh, a lot about that tonight, uh, those tonight. Uh, For the most part, we were in agreement on our list, but it's always more interesting to talk about the things that we disagreed on, so we'll probably start with that. So, Without any further ado, uh, here's David Groven. David, thanks for joining us tonight. Not a problem, Brian. Thanks for having me. We tried to do this a couple of weeks ago, but we had some technical difficulties, so I'm glad that uh, we've got them straight. Even uh, Superstorm uh, Stella couldn't uh, get us from uh, hooking up here tonight. No, no, it's, it's, it's all good tonight. All right, well, as I was saying, we did uh, top 50 lists. You did uh, yours first, uh, and I was able to copy off of you, so that was very helpful, and I appreciate that. And like I said in the intro, most of the uh, things we agreed on, but there was uh, a few players that uh, we didn't have on each other's list. I think there were 16 total, and we're going to talk about uh, some of those right now. And uh, before we do that, I want to say that in previous years when we've done this list, we haven't ranked any international prospects. And you stayed true to form and didn't do that. But when I did mine, um, we had two guys who had had so much buzz about them, uh, two really high-profile international signees, and uh, you didn't get a chance to talk about them. So I wanted to know if you had uh, any thoughts on either Gregory Guerrero or Andres Jimenez. You see, I, I I got really burned on a number of times that I, I fell in love with DSL players, which is a Dominican uh, summer league. When when you look at players and what they're doing at the, the young ages you get with these international signees, they really can still be anything. You don't know what they're going to be. So I just find at this point that anything that happens before a player comes stateside. So all of these, these tremendous things that scouts are seeing in their physical bodies as, as young athletes, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. I think both, both appear on paper to be good international signees, but until, until they do something in the minors that I can you know, evaluate and compare to other players at the same age, it's really hard for me to, to assign any value to them. Yeah, and I think that the the guy that jumps immediately to uh, my mind, probably yours as well, is Vicente Lupo, who really tore it up when he was in the DSL. 
and he struggled here in uh, in low A ball. I think he's been in low A the past two years and, and really hasn't done a whole lot outside of getting involved in a high-speed uh, car chase with uh, teammate uh, Wilmer Becerra. So I certainly understand that point of view, and, and it's one that I've agreed with in the past as well. I know when I was making my list, I just felt that because these two players had so much hype that it would have been a mistake not to include them. But uh, generally, I tend to side with you on that issue. But instead of agreeing, let's talk to you about a guy that perhaps we don't agree on. And uh, this was a guy who appeared about halfway through on my list and didn't make your list. And that's uh, Corey Taylor, who was the closer last year for uh, High A St. Lucie. And uh, talk about uh, him and uh, why, why you don't think he made your list. Well, I think he didn't make my list probably because I had quite a number of relief pitchers on my list. And at a certain point, I was I was probably policing myself positionally, where it was a matter of if I include another relief pitcher, then the farm system is 80%. Felt wrong to do that. So, so in a sense, I will say that Taylor was a myth on my part because based on his stats, he deserves to be on a top 50 list. So it was it was more of when I compared him to the other relief pitchers that I did list, the Alex Paulshas and, and so on, I, I felt that they were showing me things in their statistics that he wasn't. And when it comes down to it, it may just be that his strikeouts were more human than the other players that I was looking at. He was under a 9, a 9.0 taper 9, which is one of the primary stats that I look for in terms of a relief pitcher, because it seems that high-leverage relief pitchers really need that, that power pitching strikeout number. And another thing working against Taylor is he's a, he's a little bit older than you would prefer. He's going to be going into double uh, A this year, I believe at age uh, 24. So, you know, ideally he'd be a couple of years younger than that, but he's been, uh, He'll be getting a lot of work here in spring training with a lot of guys off at the the WBC, and he's he's acquitted himself well. So he he's a guy to to watch, I feel. But uh, let, let's flip it around and a guy who was on your list but not mine. And I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of his last names because I'm I'm not a I'm not a great uh, linguist in that regard. But uh, the the player in question is Kevin Kazmarski. And uh, he's a guy that I view as too old and uh, without a standout skill. And uh, what made you not only rate him, but give him a a pretty high rating on your top 50 list? So um, Kevin Kazmarski jumped into my my, uh, site back in 2015, which was his debut year in, in the minors where he obliterated rookie league ball but he was obliterating rookie league ball way older than everyone else in rookie league ball because of how he came onto the Mets and the fact that he finished college prior to being drafted. Um, basically, when, when I look at him, I see Kirk Neuenheis with less flaws. He seems like a player. He can play all across the outfield. He, he has some power, some speed, and he just seems to work hard and succeed at each level they try him at. So the fact that, yes, he was way too young for rookie ball, and last year he was too young for the two levels he played at, this year he'll be in double A, and he's getting closer and closer to not only the majors, but closer and closer to playing against players that are his own age 
and and should be at his competition level. And until I see him struggle, I have to like him. And much like Taylor, he's a guy who's getting playing time in major league camp here um, during Grapefruit League season and uh, is doing well also himself. So certainly he's he's uh, he's made a name for himself, even if I can't pronounce it. Um, but let's uh, move on to a, a guy with uh, more of a, a normal uh, name, and that's uh, Colby Woodmansey, who is a uh, 2016 draft pick of the Mets. Um, what can you tell me about him, and, and why did you rank him 23rd? So I, I got to see Colby Woodmansey play uh, the couple times I went out to Brooklyn, and he is, I feel, an underrated prospect in terms of what I saw from him. Uh, first of all, the two times I saw him play, he was hitting third in a lineup that featured some really talented hitters around him. And and when I saw him go up to bat, actually looked like a major league prospect. I hadn't seen a player taken at bat like that in Brooklyn since I saw Michael Conforto. Um, and, and obviously since then I saw Peter Alonso, and Peter Alonso uh, – Blew, blew even Michael Conforto away. But um, I, I was really impressed with Woodmansey. And not only that, I was impressed with his defense. Uh, he's, he's a big guy. He's a tall player that doesn't really look on paper like he's going to be a shortstop. But everything I saw in the field was good movement, great arm strength, and he just had these, these tremendous at-bats that really made him look like a good player. Now, you mentioned Woodmansey being a, a shortstop, and the Mets have really focused on middle infielders during the uh, Sandy Alderson regime. And the, those international signees that we talked about earlier, they at least are starting their careers at shortstop, although uh, at least one of them will probably move off. And another guy that you had ranked on your list that I didn't was uh, Milton Ramos, who was a third-round pick a couple of years back. And I'm just curious, with all of the glut of middle infielders that the Mets have in their system now, um, what's the prognosis for Ramos? So that I left Ramos on the list, and I, I considered it not only not only dropping him off the list, but dropping him way down on the list farther than I did. The reason that I left him where I did was because of Ahmed Rosario in a funny way. Because I remember prior to this, this past breakout year, Ahmed Rosario hadn't really given me any numbers that justified all of the glowing scouting reports that surrounded him. And something that I, I've, I've done in my research for the different Mets players is they say great things about Milton Ramos. I have yet to see them translate statistically into a season, but... I, I basically decided I'm going to give the scouts one more year to prove me wrong and, and just make, make him succeed this year or he drops off the list. Everyone has raved about uh, Ramos defensively, but as you noted, he, hasn't, he has yet to hit here in the minors. He had a, a decent year with the bat two years ago, but that was really uh, balls-on-play related. And then this year the hits didn't fall in and the numbers didn't look very impressive. But um, one more year I think is, is certainly a, a reasonable thing for a guy whose glove is as good as Ramos's is supposed to be. Uh, he's David, and I'm Brian, and you're listening to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. And tonight we're talking uh, some Mets prospects. Um, 
we each of us uh, put out a top 50 list, and uh, one guy that uh, David put on his list that I wish I had put on mine was Dash Winningham, who uh, just made the cut on your top 50. Uh, what can you tell us about the uh, Florida native? Well, I, I can tell you that he has power. He absolutely does have power when he makes contact. He is, he is got onto my list because when I looked through the Mets system, he had something that is actually pretty rare in the Mets system. We don't have a lot of high-power prospects. That's not something that the Mets have been drafting lately. So he's unique in that quality, but he, he has a lot of flaws in his game. He's defensively limited that he can only play first base, and you know he just hasn't shown the amount of contact that he needs to really even even make it up to be a backup player where he can come off the bench and provide some good at that. So he has a lot of growing to do before he's going to become uh, any higher than, than where he is right now. Part of me is very disappointed that a guy named Dash isn't a speedster. I just think we could have a lot of uh, the Incredibles tie-ins if uh, Dash Winningham was a guy who stole 70 bases. But alas, he he brings power. But as you mentioned, power is not something that's just in uh, great supply in the Mets minor league system. And he is relatively young. I think he was just 20 years old last year. And so he'll be 21 this year in in high A, which is is a good pace. That's where you'd like to see him at at that age. And hopefully um, he'll have a little more success hitting home runs. I believe he had just 12 last year. Um, another guy uh, that, that you had ranked that, that I thought about ranking but ultimately decided not to was uh, everyone's favorite lightning rod, Tim Tebow. And uh, what, what are your thoughts on the whole Tebow experience? That our, our surrounding Tebow are both fair and unfair. I, I believe that the Mets made a perfectly fine decision in bringing Tebow into their minor league camps. For one he, he, may, he may come in with star power that people are watching him without him having earned it, but he's, he's not slacking in camp. He's not giving a bad impression to younger players or being a bad influence or anything like that. It's the opposite that you see with Tim Tebow. He tries as hard as anyone else and, and harder still. So he's a good influence on some of the younger players. I think that a little bit of this is the Mets did want some buzz, which is unfortunate that a team would make a play just just to get some media buzz. But media buzz means money, and money means maybe getting a player for for the team down the road. So I I can't think that the Mets really made a bad decision in bringing him in. The reason that I ranked him and ranked him where I did was because if you look at his potential and, and try to overlook the fact that he's way too old to actually reach it. If you look at, at how much he has in terms of power potential, hitting potential, and fielding potential, he's a major league player. If he went into baseball instead of football, he'd probably be in the majors now as a starting outfielder. But he didn't, and that's going to probably mean that he never makes it to the majors. There's still a chance, and a chance at a major league outfield spot is better than a lot of other prospects. I am not a Tim Tebow fan, but even saying that, I I can't understand the venom that a lot of people have towards him. And somehow in their mind, they equate his presence in the Mets minor league system about 
keeping chances away from, from others who might actually have a major league career. And I think if you look at some of the guys in the Mets system who maybe he's taking time away from, you know, a guy that we mentioned earlier, Vicente Lupo, uh, uh, how, many, how many plate appearances did the Mets want to spend on someone like that before they, they wash their hands of the experience? And if Tebow's going to bring in some fans to the high A affiliate or wherever it is the – that he ultimately ends up this year. I have to think that that's a good thing overall. And and the bottom line is people like him. And I don't think that's just limited to the paying customers. I think there's a lot of kids in the system who look up to him. Uh, do you think that uh, he can rub off on anyone in a positive way that way? I mean, I hope he can, because I think that we have seen in recent years some younger players that that end up, not reaching their full potential because of what what appears to be attitude issues more than anything else. And, I mean, a player that I look at with that, and I don't know if it's fair because he's not a player that's been in my system for me to be able to, to look at under a microscope, but you look at Puig out in, at, out in Los Angeles, and he was a superstar, and now he's just sort of a humdrum everyday outfielder, and it seems to me that it's because he just assumed it would always be easy. And, you know, any professional sport is never going to, to always be easy. There'll be times when it's easy and times when you have to struggle. Speaking of struggling, let's uh, move on to Champ Stewart, who uh, has a little bit of a struggle making contact. Uh, he split time last year between high A and double A. And when he was in double A, he had a a 36.0 K percentage. And then this year in spring training, he's uh, fanned in 11 of his 20 at bats. Um, What do you think he, why do you think he has a uh, shot to make it in the majors? Uh, He has, he has one shot to make it on the in the majors. And it's only because of the makeup of the Mets. The Mets are not a fleet footed team. And having someone who is purely a pinch runner, and outfield defensive replacement is suddenly useful. He's a guy who can play center field and steal bases. Name, name someone who isn't Jose Reyes, who you actually think will steal bases for the Mets this year. There's really not anyone. Well, you can't steal first base, and, and not many teams carry a, a designated uh, pinch runner like the old Oakland A's did. But uh, we did see the Mets somewhat do this a, a few years ago when they brought back Eric Young Jr. for a second stint. So it, it's not completely out of the, the realm of possibility. And actually with the injuries to uh, Brandon Nimmo and the desire to have Michael Conforto uh, start the year playing every day in Las Vegas, do you think there's a chance that Stewart might actually even be on the major league bench at the, on opening day? If question of one of the players reaching for the, the bench, I would prefer having uh, another guy we talked about, Kevin Kazmarski, over, over Champ Stewart, because Kevin Kazmarski, I actually feel, will actually make contact every once in a while. Uh, Champ Stewart is, 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 not, is not a guy I ever want in the batter's box for the Mets. I only want him on the base pass or the outfield uh, grass. Those are the only two positions I want to see him in if he's going to be in Met uniform. And I think that with the 
the the the makeup of the Mets. If you are if you are putting Curtis Granderson as your starting center fielder, you are going to be looking at a lot of games where in late innings you are replacing people uh, defensively. So having a plethora of options for center field is going to be the most important thing for Terry Collins, I think. Up until now, we've been talking about guys who are already in the minor league system for the Mets. Let's shift gears here a little bit and talk about the upcoming draft in June. Uh, do you have any player that you're targeting for the Mets to draft this June? Uh, there's a couple players that I'm looking at, and it actually seems like a very decent draft for a couple positions. Uh, one of the major positions that you're going to see this, this draft is uh, starting pitchers and power starting pitchers. And obviously the Mets have had a lot of success recently with these power starting pitchers. And the one that I, I looked at uh, and, and seemed to like the most was this uh, Hans Kraus, who, who falls more or less uh, in terms of the rankings where the Mets are picking. He's a power pitcher. He throws in the upper 90s. And I think that's, that's a really good base to start from. I also think that the Mets have, have a system in place where they can bring a player like that along, where you're not worrying, will this guy be able to, to pan out? Do the Mets know how to handle him? This is just, okay, this is what he does. We, we know how to deal with that, and let's, let's put him into the system and get him going. Um, the other guy, and if you'll just excuse me as I, I peek at my notes, he's both a catching and a pitching prospect, which is a little bit funky, but at the same time, if, if I, I read the scouting reports right, I wouldn't know where to put him either because he is a hitting catcher that can throw 97 miles an hour. So you, you see why that's useful as a catcher because he can obviously throw people out. But then, you know, is it more important to have a pitcher that throws 97 miles an hour or a catcher? I don't, I don't know where I want to put him. At the same time, having options as a prospect, not a bad thing. So I would look, his name is uh, Hagen Danner. And uh, I believe he was actually, uh, I had to go down in the, uh, the prospect rankings a little bit to pick him up. So I think he should be well within the range of players that the Mets can look at. My preference is to always uh, slot the guy who's a two-way prospect like as a position player with the idea that it's a lot easier to move from a position player to a pitcher, especially uh, a reliever. And I think we've seen a, a few of those uh, come through. The one that uh, jumps to mind immediately is Kenley Jansen, who was also a catcher and converted him into a closer, and now he's one of the top closers in the National League. So I'm not really uh, a big follower of the either the, the college or the high school ranks, so it's good to have those two names and uh, something to look forward to this June. Um, now, we mentioned Sandy Alderson briefly before, and he, he's a little bit of a lightning rod for, for the fan base. It seems like people are either really in his corner or really want to, to move on and, and move on to the next phase. And I just want to, just curious what you think about what he's done with the farm system and uh, how you would rate the organization overall uh, here heading into the 2017 season. I wouldn't say that I'm a, a supreme Sandy Alderson fan, but I, I, I have seen far worse. 
and I will take Sandy Alderson over a number of different alternatives. Uh, I think that he's kept the Met Farm system stocked to the point where he's made trades, but he's never he's never given up more than we could account for. Our our farm system has stayed stocked with all of these players graduating to the majors, with all of these players being moved here and there for for midseason upgrades. I do think that this may be a season where we see quite a few prospects getting traded. Um, I know that there's a couple of teams down the line that line up well uh, to make a trade with. Um, I know that the White Sox and the Royals are both looking at moving their first baseman and third baseman, which just happens to be areas. So the only reason Mets have packages that might appeal to these teams is because Sandy Alderson has done a good job of sort of hoarding a bunch of these prospects who are at least intriguing to other teams, where they may not be these home-run prospects, but at the same time, we have a multitude of prospects who teams might be interested in, as opposed to just one or two guys. So where personally do you draw the line? I mean, clearly Alderson has drawn the line at Ahmad Rosario saying he's not going to deal him. Is everybody else besides Rosario on the table though? I think it really, it really depends. You know, if you're talking about getting Mike Moustakis and Eric Hosmer to, to go into the playoffs, then I'm going to, to make so many players available that I normally wouldn't um, because you are making a run at a world series with that team. And will I trade a Dominic Smith for that? Yes, I will. Will I trade a Gavin Cicchini for that? Sure. I I'll do that too. The Mets have possible replacements for these players. Ahmed Rosario, the Mets, the Mets don't have, they have a ton of shortstop prospects, but they don't have a shortstop prospect that has looked as good as Ahmed Rosario. Uh, not since Jose Reyes. So I don't think that they can afford to do anything with him. But I would I would probably say that just about anyone else on the Mets is is available for uh for trade at that point. Now having having said that, do you have a favorite Mets prospect? Maybe not uh, a guy who's at the the top of the heap like a, a Dominic Smith or a Cicchini, but uh, anyone who you just have taken a shine to over the years. Oh, uh, I mean, I fell in love last year with Thomas Zipucky, and he's number three on my prospect list. So he is towards the top of of most most lists. He's in the top ten for most people, uh, and he's 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 a phenomenal talent. Uh, he draws comparisons to Stephen Matz. Uh, for for a number of reasons, and I actually think he might end up being better because he gets more movement on his pitches. The guy that that is not on everyone's radar but has been on mine and and sort of locked in there is Patrick Mazeka, who um, sort of debuted with Kazmarski but has been held up by injuries here and there. Been healthy enough to play for, for good stretches of each year, but he hasn't had a real year other than his, his rookie year that he's been healthy the entire time. He's a hitting catcher. He hasn't shown a ton of power, but a lot of Met prospects don't at the low levels of the minors. And the big knock against him in scouting was his defense. And from what I understand in updated scouting, his defense has been pretty good. So I think that, that he's actually probably behind uh, Thomas Nido 
the the second best Met catching prospect currently in the system. Now, the two players that you mentioned as being favorites of yours, what level do you think they'll begin the 2017 season at? Um, Thomas Apucky, I, I I would challenge him at Double A, but I don't think that that's probably a good idea. I think I'd start him at Advanced A and let him graduate to Double A. And Patrick Mazeka, without question, I'd start him in Port St. Lucie. Um, I think that, assuming that he's healthy, I would like to get him freed out of the, the South Atlantic League where power goes to die. I would like to see if he's in a normal hitting league, if he can hit with power. And and I think he's been good enough in, in the league that he's played in that he doesn't need to go and repeat anything. Well, we are just about out of time. I do want to try to squeeze one more question here. And this player is one of my favorite prospects, and that's last year's top pick, Justin Dunn. Dunn came from uh, Boston College, and he was a reliever most of his time in, at, at BC. But here in his, in his junior, last year in his junior season, they switched him to a starter. And then the Mets, who usually will take a college guy and then uh, only pitch him one inning at a time, they were pitching Dunn three innings at a time. And he had a, he had a really strong uh, debut season for the Mets. Just wondering what your thoughts about Dunn were and where you see him starting this year. Uh, based upon what the Mets did with him last year, I agree. It was a little bit surprising the way they handled him. He he handled everything in Brooklyn very, very well. Uh, it was sort of three-inning stints like clockwork. He had a just about a 9.0 K9, which is exactly what you want to see from a top starting pitcher. And I think that the Mets are fine starting him in Port St. Lucie. Starting him in the South Atlantic League isn't going to hurt him. It's a, it's a it's a league that protects pitchers a little bit. Looking to stretch him out, they can do that. But he's a college player, so he's already advanced in age over a number of the players that are going to go to the South Atlantic League. Put him in Port St. Lucie and see what he can do, uh, especially if you're going to have some other pitchers there of, of quality and note. You know, having him there with Thomas Apucky, that could be very interesting, having the two of them at the top of a rotation. All right, well, we are all out of time. I'd like to thank David for uh, dropping by and uh, speaking about Mets prospects tonight. And you can read him over at Mets 360 every Monday with his column on the minors. Thanks so much, David. You're welcome. And we'll see you next week here on Mets 360 on Blog Talk Radio. Good night, everyone. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.